Attention, young ladies. Attention, young ladies. Attention, young ladies. Attention, young ladies. In a time when hats were high, I had no Canadian flag. Just a sign of David Roger. Too scared to purchase larger. But I walk through the clyde valley and the shadow of fiery chat. Again, and welcome to episode 109 of There's Still Time, the AFTN podcast. I'm Michael McCall. And I'm Steve Pender. And we're bringing you the first of our Canadian Women's National Team specials. We've got a couple of these coming up ahead of the World Cup that's kicking off now in just over a month, Steve. Yes, Hard to believe after all this build up now, we're just just over 30 days away. Yeah, I know. It, it came up quickly. It kind of Even the roster announcement, I, I was surprised how quickly it came there. That's what I guess happens when you when you have a major event coming in, in your own country. So talking off the roster announcement, let's kick off the show with that. Canadian Women's National Team roster was announced on Monday the 27th. I'm not going to go too in-depth with it in this episode because we've got a lot of interviews coming up with it, with the girls. But any big surprises on there for you, Steve? Well, obviously the one big one is the one everybody's talking about. Um, Selenia Elicilli, uh, who um, apparently makes very good waffles and, and yogurt. Yeah, she is Emily Zura's waffle partner. Yeah. So um, she, she, I guess, was a surprise. Um, she, she's made a couple of friendlies here and there, but a lot of people saw her as somebody who was a little older, who was you know, less experienced, and they, they had other people in her spot. But from the way John Herdman talked about her in the in the presser, she actually earned her way back on after being dropped in December. Yeah, I mean, she's only made four caps. She was a part of the team going way back. But, yeah, I mean, she's really impressed John Herdman because he said that she had basically turned up to training after being dropped and just part of the... Just the, the secondary program. The B squad, yeah. Yeah, she, she still came up to training and he said that she was basically keen to play and said, do you need me today, coach? Do you want any help out in any positions? Play, yeah, pl- played multiple positions. Yeah, she played a lot of different positions and, and Herdman actually said that she impressed so much in these positions better than some of the girls that, that were in the squad that he just thought that commitment, he loved that passion, he loved that drive and he just felt... It needed rewarded, and it's been rewarded with a, with and, a space in the roster. And the thing is, what other are there coaches out there that will pick a player um, for? Obviously, she impressed on the pitch, but the chemistry she provides off the pitch alone, um, a lot of coaches wouldn't do that and, and pick a player on that on that basis. I know. I mean, it's a it's a brave decision. We'll we'll see how it pans out. But I mean, I, I'm really really pleased for that. And the other surprise, which we won't go into too much just now because we're going to hear from her later on the show, is it looks like Diana Matheson might be good to go. And that's great to see. 
Yeah, and well, obviously, yeah, like you said, we have our interview coming up. It, it is touch and go, obviously. She she was recovering from injury, but then all of a sudden broke her foot as well, which is, you know, run of bad luck for her. Um, so, yeah, you know, hopefully it goes well. So we're not going to do a lot of talk from us in this episode. This is a very interview-heavy podcast. We had a chance to speak to a number of the girls after they did all their presentation and the roster announcement and all that kind of stuff on Monday at Canadian Women's National Team Media Day. So we're going to have four interviews from the women in this podcast. We're also going to hear from one of the fans, the, one of the leading lights of the Voyagers out west, and one of the leading lights of Vancouver Whitecap supporters group Curva Collective, Zachary Meisenheimer. A friend of the podcast. Yeah, I mean, you, anyone that's listened to this all, all know that we have Zach on a lot for our round tables. So we're going to do more analysis and look ahead to the tournament in general in our second podcast. And we'll also have another friend of our show, Harjeet Jahal, coming to talk about that. So watch out for that in a couple of weeks' time. But let's kick the audio off. And there's no better way to start it than the man that is hoping to make history and see Canada win a World Cup on home soil, head coach, John Herdman. Man's man, I'm a man's man, I'm a man's man. Ladies man! I'm a man's man, I'm a man's man, I'm a man's man. Ladies man, I'm a man's man, I'm a man's man, I'm a man's man. I'm a man's man, I'm a man's man, I'm a man's man, I'm a man's man. I'm a ladies man. What has to go right in order for Diana's foot and knee to fully heal so she's back on the pitch? Well, it's a, I think with injuries, the injuries she's got, she's been progressing really well. So what has to go right, firstly, is she gets the right medical care, which we've got in place. The second part is her commitment to that. And she's fully committed. She's a real high performer. If she might have been a younger athlete, I would have had some doubts because they don't know what they don't know. But Diana's been through this before. She's had injuries before, and she absolutely knows all the steps she's got to take. So to get it right is it's a, a set of circumstances where she doesn't have any more setbacks, and I think that's the key. And, and we have to make sure that you know we're ultimately diligent with the steps we provide her, so she doesn't have setbacks. Would she stay on the roster for June 6th if she can't play? Perhaps maybe you would use her later in the tournament, or does she have to be fully ready for that first match? Well, no, she doesn't have to be ready for the first match. I think the key for Diana is, you know. If she can contribute in the Women's World Cup on the pitch, that's why she's been selected to the 23, which there's a, you know, in terms of a return to play plan, there's an expectation that she will return back into that tournament at some point. Maybe not the first game, it may be for a certain period of time. However, as I've said, whether she can or can't, she'll be there. And you've named 23 players today. Who do you have on your alternate alternates list or someone maybe yeah, coming in have, later? We have a, a number of players that uh, obviously Janine Becky uh, who's been with us right through to the end, a wonderful player uh, Rebecca Quinn uh, who's been with us for the, that period of time as well other players include um, Brittany Baxter, Suri Yeka I mean that's the name five players that were sitting in, in our wider squad um, you know, players such as Sabrina D'Angelo, you know, people that are on and around the wider squad that could be called in at any time. You've got a match against the U.S. and I believe Mexico, England. What do you hope to accomplish in these uh, friendlies before June comes around? Look, those, those friendlies are really important. One, you are finalising your tactics. You are, again, bringing a greater level of on-field connection to a group of players that will be more... We'll have a role more of starters in, in the tournament than finishers. 
and that's what we define. You know, we have starters and finishers, people who finish games, people who start games, and the players are very clear in their roles. So it gives them an opportunity to start playing with players that they're going to start with and finish with. So you build special relationships and connections. Do you think when when a game starts, there's a certain group of players that typically start together, but that same group of players don't finish together, and you have to still build those connections. John, as a proud Geordie, what's gonna what's gonna have the hair standing on your back of your neck the most, leading the team out at St James's Park or that first game against? Oh, uh, look, the anthem. It's gonna be the anthem. In every time that anthem plays, it gets us and it gets this team. It, it really tunes us into something about what our purpose is in life and you hear that anthem it's like listening to the local hero played when you, uh, you're waiting for the, the magpies to come out the tunnel but nothing's ever going to replace that 55,000 people in, uh, in Commonwealth Stadium Sea of Red Whew, man <laughs> that's going to be crazy when you have to make roster decisions when you have to name roster how difficult is this to tell players sorry you won't be joining this team at this time? Look, it's the hardest thing in the world. It's the, the thing that keeps you awake at night for a couple of nights and for a couple of weeks you're stressing, you know, like you, it's just the, the part of the the coach's life. But the reality is you've got to do it properly. And, and that's what we always try and set a standard around how we handle and work with our players. Because those girls, it wasn't that they're not good Canadians or... And there's not daylight between them and player A, B or C. It's just these little nuances that you go, this is the difference. And then trying to describe that in a way that they can process it, it's really important. So, But we, we plan to keep all of our players connected. Those that haven't made the squad, we keep them connected by staying in touch. They'll come in, some of the players will come into our camp in LA just to stay part of that group. Um, and that's important because, look, my Olympic experience was, as I said, we, we ended up calling on our alternates because players got injured in the first two games. And if they haven't been connected through your culture, you know, you, you lose an opportunity. That's right. Now, you talked about the young players having no fear. Jessie Fleming, youngest player on the team, obviously she's looked up to Christine Sinclair for, for years. How do you see that she's going to cope with the pressure when there's all those folk just rooting for her? But I think the young kids, um, they, they don't tend to over-process things. And, and the great thing with, with Jessie, she just had a, an under-20s World Cup in Canada. She recognised some areas where she felt, look, we probably could have done better than we thought as a, as a player in that team. And she really wants to have another crack at this. So she looked at the under-20s last year and said, man, if only this year she's going to see if she can push it to another level. And I think that's the beauty with, with someone like a Fleming. They not only don't carry a lot of bad experiences where things can overwhelm them, they've also got absolute pros around them, like Christine Sinclair, who treat them like they're professionals. They don't get treated like younger sisters. They get treated like professionals that are helping the team win a World Cup. And I think that really helps too. Great, thanks, John. So that was John Herdman there talking about a few things and some of his squad announcements and just what he's hoping for and the feelings that he's... expecting to have as he leads the team out for, for that first game in Edmonton. 
I mean, John Herdman has been a breath of fresh air for this team. It's He's just been fantastic. And as a lot of the girls will tell you when you talk to them, they just love the the fresh approach that he has brought to the, the women's roster. After the, the downs that they had crashing out so early in the 2011 World Cup, Herdman came in, the girls all love him, and they basically put their turnaround down to the, the way that he is coaching them. Yeah, and you'll hear that in all the interviews coming up. He seems like a godsend to, the, uh, to come up after that 2011 World Cup. And you saw the impact he had in 2012 at the Olympics in London. Turned that despondent team around to, to win a bronze Within medal. a year. Yeah. And it was basically the same players too. Almost virtually the same players. And he has kept the core group together. He's brought in a few new faces over the last couple of years and they've gone on to to, to really, really thrive. And I mean, it's going to be a sad loss when he does eventually leave the programme. And you have to think he will because he's going to get offers after this World Cup. I mean, he's never going to leave the programme before a home World Cup. No, no there were, but there were rumours that he, there were offers. People were offering him to uh, move on before the World Cup and he, he refused those offers. Yeah. So there's another positive thing on him. So you kind of have to think there's going to be some further offers coming down the line. But anyway, enough of Herdman. Let's start off our interviews with the players. And we're going to kick off with something which we do on our regular Whitecaps podcast. So I know there's going to be some people listening to this show that don't listen to our Whitecaps podcast and are just tuning in to, to get the women's coverage. But we do a section called Teammates, where we speak to one of the players about their teammates. Chance for them to have a bit of fun, to rag on them, take the piss a little bit out of their teammates and throw a few of them under the bus. So we're going to kick our show off with the chat that we had with Emily Zurer. And the reason we're going to play this now, as opposed to at the end of the show, where we usually do the teammates thing, is that kind of sets the scene for some of the interviews that we've got to come. So without any further ado, here's Emily Zurer talking Canadian women's national team, teammates. We are the most reliable, definitely undeniable. It's like we're you and I about teammates, teammates, we. So we're joined now by Emily Zurer for our first Canadian women's teammate section of the podcast. The first thing to ask you really, Emily, is who is the best player that you've played alongside with in your whole time with the Canadian women's national team? That's a really good question. There's been a lot of amazing players. Um, I'd probably have to go with Christine Sinclair, the easy answer, but she really is incredible and she kind of deserves all the recognition that she gets and I don't think she gets enough. She's she's the best, for sure. And if you look at the world game in general, just a women's side, who would be your dream teammate if someone could become Canadian? Mm -hmm. Which female player in the game would you love to to be on your side? It's a really good question. Um, There's so many amazing players out there. Well, I will say one of my college teammates, Ella Masser, because she'll pay me to say this, so I'd, <laughs> I'd choose her. I know she'd run through a brick wall for me. Um, as for players I've played against, I'd probably have to say a few of the French girls. There are some pretty amazing players on that team. Maybe I'll go with Abilene. And who's your best friend on the team? Oh, my gosh, this is another. I'm going to have to get them all to start paying me for this one, whoever's the highest bidder. Honestly... I could not choose just one. Like these girls are my family. They're my sisters. They're all my best friends. Um, yeah, I, I can't choose just one. Well, right, that's the easy ones out of the way. This is the time you can have some fun now. Okay. Now we, we know you all train hard. You all work hard. But who's the hardest worker on the training pitch? Who puts the most work in? Um, besides myself. 
The hardest, oh man, these are tough because everyone works hard. Um, I'd have to say the one that sticks out is Erin McLeod. She's always working hard, not only on the pitch, but off. Um, she's one of those ones that does everything, everything possible. And she's always on the go, always doing something to, to get better and to be the best in the world. So I'll choose her. And who's the laziest? Like who, <laughs> off, off, off the pitch, not like on the pitch. Off the pitch. Like off, who, who stays in bed the longest? Who, who can you know what's funny? Like, no one's really lazy, but some people sleep more than others. And I swear to God, it's all the Italians on the team. Like, there's something about Italians. I hope no Italians out there get mad at me for saying this, but just the ones on our team, they, like, they're, they might be a bit narcoleptic. They just fall asleep, and they can sleep in more than any of us. So all the Italians are the biggest sleepers, I would say. Not lazy, though. <laughs> who's the quickest player on the, on the team, would you say? Or who's deceptively quick? Deceptively quick? Quick. Well, Sinky's really deceptively fast. Um, we have a lot of really quick, quick players. Jose Belanger, super quick. Um, Alicia Chapman, very quick. Um, myself. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Actually, our goalkeepers are deceptively fast. I'll say that because we have our, our speed tests, and they're always, all three of them are always towards the top. So definitely that's the big surprise there. Three goalkeepers the fastest. And who's the, the hard woman on the team? Like, if you were playing against somebody, who would you not want to come up against? Who's the tough tackler? Oh my gosh, Dre Leon. She, Adriana Leon, she is feisty. Both her and Janelle Fellini are two of the feistiest, I'd say. We know you like to have a lot of fun in the dressing room and off the pitch, and we've seen all the videos, but who would you say is the main prankster? Who's the, who's the key joker? Who, who does the most pranks on everyone? Um, we have a few. I like to pull... A good prank once in a while. Robin Gale, she's a, she's a, she's definitely a prankster. She comes across across as sweet and innocent, but she'll get you. Uh, Tank is another one. And who is the biggest moaner? <laughs> oh my gosh, the biggest moaner. Um, I can't answer that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll try and get to the bottom of that. Uh, we hear a lot of music getting played and on the videos and stuff that you guys have done. So who's got the best taste in music and who's got the worst taste in music? Okay, well, the worst is super easy. Uh, it's Rian Wilkinson. She listens to podcasts before games, so... There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> you're, you're on one. Oh <laughs> I mean, besides the MLS podcast, that one is that one's definitely okay. No, podcasts are great, but just before the game, you know, you want someone to get pumped up. Not always the best time to listen to them. Um, so her playlist is always pretty funny. And then Robin Gale always makes our pre-game playlist, and she's always got a really good mix of old-school throwback songs that we like to dance to. And who's the most intelligent girl in the locker room, and who's, like, not the brightest? <laughs> Rian's the most intelligent because she listens to all those podcasts. Um, and then the least intelligent... This is, oh man, like I would throw them under the bus, but that's throwing them under the bus too much. I, they might do it to you if we speak. You're, you're right. Um, <laughs> no, I don't know. Least intelligent. I mean, I guess everyone's intelligent. The most intelligent, I would say, actually, I, I want to re-answer that, is Jessie Fleming, the youngest on our team. She is very bright and... Um, when it comes to least intelligent, I don't know, maybe the younger girls because they haven't got as much education as us. That's, that's a great that's answer. <laughs> Last couple of things, who's got the best dress sense and who shouldn't be allowed to like go out without oh someone else gosh. helping them? The best dress sense. We've got a few fashionistas on the team. Um, I like Kaylin's style. Janelle has good style. Carm and Aaron and Tank have good style as well. Um, 
And again, the worst dresser I'd have to go with Rian. <laughs> I love you, Rian. And who's got the best haircut in the team and the worst haircut? I, I like long dark hair, so for yeah. me it's like Oh, thank you. Hair. Thank you very much. Okay, so besides myself then. Um, best haircut, Sinky and... Oh, sorry, not Sinky. Karina and Soph have some pretty badass haircuts. I thought Karina. Yeah. And the last question, who is the longest in the shower? Who can you not get out of there? Or who's the longest in front of the mirror? Oh my gosh, longest in front of the mirror? Okay, I would probably be up there for longs in the shower. I, I like a long shower. Um, longs in the mirror? <laughs> probably Kaylin, Janelle, Dree. <laughs> I can sometimes take... I can take long in the mirror. Um... Rian, super, super long. No, I'm just kidding. Rian's the shortest. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you for your time, Emily, yeah, and good luck in the World Cup. Thank you. Thanks a lot. That was funny. We are the most reliable. Definitely undeniable. It's like we're you and I about teammates, teammates. We So that was Emily Zura there talking Canadian women's national team teammates. And as, as you can tell, we had a lot of fun doing that with her. Yeah, and she and and as you can tell by, you know, the, you know they, they don't really want to wreck on their teammates. It seems like they're very close-knit. So it was good. Very, we had to prod, once, yeah. prod them and everything. But once, once you start, the floodgates are open. Then yeah. she has a little bit of fun with that. Yeah. But, oh, poor Rianne Wilkinson. Um, on the, the wrong end of a, a lot of the comments there. But... She's used to it. It's kind of water off her duck's back. And we spoke to Rianne, and I, I've i got to say she was my favourite person that we spoke to. Yeah, one of our favourites, definitely. Like, I'm, I'm a big... Uh, we're both podcast listeners, so we have no problem with her listening to podcasts before a game. It seems sensible that some people want to calm down, and that's what podcasts do, I guess. Yeah, I mean, she's one of the players as well that's in the roster that this is going to be her last World Cup. She knows yeah. that. I think she's 32. And this is her chance to... To go out with a, a bang, and I mean, she might retire from international soccer after this. I kind of expect that she will, but yeah, she's a key component to, to this team. Definitely, uh, she's she. Uh, if people don't know, she she does play. Uh, she's a defender. She'd be playing right back, right back on the uh, and, and, and she, she's, she used to actually play as a striker and as a midfield player in her younger days, yeah. and she's just kind of gradually moved back and back in the team. Maybe she starts out as a keeper. Once the once her uh, she moves to keep her from defender, I don't know. keeps her playing days going. She, she certainly, the, yeah. The Canadian, <laughs> Canadian women's national team certainly has a lot of depth at that position yeah. just now. Okay, but Rianne was, as we said, a, a great person to speak to. So you you heard Emily saying a, a few things about her. Um, so we brought that up when we spoke to her. So here's our chat with Rianne Wilkinson. So the rest of the interviews you're going to hear in this episode, the way that we wanted to do it is we had about 10 minutes with each girl, so we thought we'll do half of the interview talking about soccer aspects and half of the interviews having a little bit of fun, getting to know them, letting the, the public that might not know a lot about these people just what makes these girls tick. And... She was fascinating. I, I loved her. It's I've, I will say that now that she was fantastic. So let, let's hear our interview with Rianne Wilkinson. Okay. 
Okay, so we're joined by Rianne Wilkinson now. So, first thing to ask you, Rianne, I know you're going to have been asked this ton so far today, but what's your thoughts on making the final roster for the World Cup? Well, I'm excited. I think John is very good at being um, open and honest, and he, everyone sort of had a pretty good idea of where they stood before going into those final meetings, uh, which I appreciate. It's not always easy to hear, but uh, he is very honest. Uh, so going, But somehow you still always just need to hear it on that final day, so it was, it was a great day. As one of the veterans on the team, and you've been at the World Cup before, you've been at the Olympics, everything like that, how special is it going to be playing on, on home soil for the first time and possibly your last World Cup as well? I love how veteran is used instead of old. <laughs> I'm older than you, so it's fine. <laughs> You're young to me. Oh, gosh. No, I look, I, I've been on this team a long time and I've had a ton of experiences and I expect this to be the highlight of my career. And, uh, and that is after an Olympic bronze you know I'm, I'm aware of how fortunate I am to be on this team and bringing it this tournament the World Cup to Canada in front of my my friends my family and you know my nation taking the experiences of uh, 2011 mm-hmm. uh, the disappointment there and then the joy that you had in, in the Olympics yeah. uh, how do you, do you combine those in going into this tournament you use both in, in experiences as you know try to guide you to how to get through this tournament yeah, you know, um, 2011 was, people bring it up a lot, it was obviously not a very successful tournament for us, um, but I think we learned a lot as a group about um, about our characters, because I know personally I'm a little bit embarrassed by how I acted at, after that tournament. I think that there was a lot of blame and, you know, recrimination when really you just had to look to yourself and how you performed and how we as a team came together. Um, so I think we all learned a lot in as individuals in different ways. And that was important, that sort of self-understanding, uh, because obviously people talk about that quick turnaround for the Olympics. And, you know, really that was the same team. And uh, for me, one of the biggest differences was... Obviously, John was an incredible influence on us, but it was also us uh, taking ownership for ourselves as players and for ourselves as a team. And, um, yeah, that's something that we have now prided ourselves on and something that we've been working on for the last few years and hopefully something that's even more impressive to watch uh, at this World Cup. Now, we, we do a teammate section, so we just spoke to Emily, so she was giving us some of the good gossip on you guys. And she said, do you like listening to podcasts? And that's like your pretty much playlist so what kind of podcast do you listen to well I do listen to soccer podcasts um you know I'm some of these girls on the team will tell you they don't get any nerves first of all yeah right but I I mean I do I get nervous and you know especially when you're sitting in the locker room you can hear the stands outside and you know the the pre-game talk is happening the nerves are starting and I just want to calm down and for me that's not through loud music um it's not soft music I don't want to go to sleep but you know podcasts I can absolutely disconnect and start listening to someone else and uh, and just put my mind at rest and often you know it's the the one I have started to really like is uh, Desert Island Discs from oh, BBC and yeah. and they do these incredible interviews with people so sometimes you're so involved in someone else's life and the, these amazing achievements they've done and often just against these most incredible odds they've inc- achieved a 
fantastic things. So for me, that's become a bit of a ritual to just disconnect and prepare in my own way. And, you know, I can run it out as soon as we have warm up, but it's just that time from the bus to like warm up that I just need to be in my own space. Now, most people listening to this will have no idea what Desert Islands Discs is, but I do. So, you're on the island. Yeah. What would you take then as your one piece of music and your one book? One piece of music. Okay. Hmm. Would it be a podcast? (laughs) Would it be a podcast? No, because then I would know it. I I mean, hmm, piece of music. I probably would choose Vivaldi, The Four Seasons, because as children, um, we were deprived, had no television, and uh, my mother had very strict rules and very, you know, was careful with the music we listened to, but we had Vivaldi, and we used to dance around to The Four Seasons, you know, like going crazy for winter. I saw you dancing on TSA. Oh, geez. Okay, I was better. (laughs) When I was younger, I think I was better. I've gotten worse. Um, yeah, so that would probably be the music and just happy memories of my family and growing up in a wonderful household. And the book. The book. My father used to teach Ernest Hemingway, and I never, you know, he used to talk about it. He used to make us watch, like... Depressing stuff. Oh, my God, the old man. Like, you know, just like, I know it's, it's classic and you're meant to, you know, there's all these deeper meanings. Oh, God, boring but um i don't know maybe if i got an anthology of all his works i could actually start to understand him and then think of these conversations i missed with my father growing up (laughs) well yeah i mean if you if you're on an island you want an anthology so you want something that's going to last you for a while now uh, speaking of you know your strict childhood is that the reason why you played so many sports you were almost like your bio says you played almost everything and when you did play those what got you into soccer that one thing yeah, I mean, strict. I think I'm giving well, a, bit, I'm a, bit of a, a bit of a disservice to my parents. Yeah. I mean, they were very, um, my no, father... No, seems strict to me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my father was a professional athlete, and he actually coached uh, Canada for rugby. Um, I remember coming home from school, and all the other kids had this rule. They had to finish homework before they could go outside, and basically our rule was you weren't allowed in for, like, an hour after school. It was just time to run around and get rid of that energy from being cooped up, and... I lived in front of a park in Bitterfe, and the, the neighborhood kids just all seemed to be there, and we just played everything. I loved it. Um, and soccer was just one of the sports I played. I've, I have a twin sister and older brother, and we just did everything. It was, you know, we swam in the summers. We played rugby because my dad made us, and um, soccer, and we did horseback riding when we were growing up in Wales. And I don't know, it was just a wonderful childhood to, to be able to participate in so many sports and then slowly I chose soccer, which I find very important now because so many kids are having to choose when they're very young and I never did. It sort of got whittled down as I went. I kept having to choose um, different sports. So, you know, I, I played uh, ringette and hockey and I ended up having to choose one or the other. I went with with, uh, hockey, and then in the summers, you know, I had to stop playing rugby because I didn't want to get hurt for soccer, and I stopped playing tennis, and I stopped swimming because soccer was getting more and more uh, significant in my life, and I ended up choosing soccer. Um, So I never got tired of it. It was always my choice. I was always playing with my friends, um, and I always wanted to practice because I I still loved it. With the World Cup coming up, obviously the, the focus of the nation is on on you girls, and it's like it's going to be a lot of pressure. When you've got young people in the team like Jesse Fleming, mm-hmm. what do you, you older 
people on the team, let's say that then. Um, what do you do? do? Like, do you just put an arm around her and like calm her down a bit, or do they not really need it? Because John kind of alluded at his press conference that they're all there's no fear in these young young kids. No, I mean, I've actually coached a lot of these young ones at the U20s last summer, and really they're just incredibly impressive young women, and it's they don't have any of the scars. You know, it's actually the senior players that probably feel a lot more of the pressure. They don't get it. They don't understand that there won't be another one. No one's saying that to them either. Like, you don't yeah. need to know that. It's it's a massive event. They're excited for the World Cup, but they're not scared. They haven't got the, those, like, scars of getting kicked out in the round, you know, in the, in uh, sorry, Germany. You know, they, they weren't there. That doesn't mean anything to them. Um, so, yeah, we're there if they need us, and we try and always be uh, someone they can come and talk to uh, but really, it's just incredible young women, and uh, they always show us exactly how determined and how uh, excited they are on the field every day at practice. Just talking about the, the coaching side of it, is that what you're now looking to, to get into uh, when, when you finish playing? Because you were with the under-20s in that World Cup. Has that given you a taste of, of like doing this after, after you finish playing the game? Or, or is it journalism? Because I know you have your own website as well. Yeah. 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 On it. Uh, is yeah. that something you're looking forward to? Um, yeah, I've, I would never have said I wanted to be a coach. Um, I have so much respect for coaches and what they do, and it was just not something I was very interested in. And then last year I sort of had a bit of a hiatus in my uh, professional career and was given that opportunity to, to coach with the U20s. Uh, to be honest, it was more of a mentorship role than a coaching role. I tried to you know help out where I could, but that's really what it was. I also took my UEFA B license out in Wales and I got an idea, a glimpse into the world and, and it's exciting. Whether that's what I'm going to do, I don't know yet. I'm, I've come to a point where I don't, I don't say things like that anymore, like that's what I'm going to do because that's never how it turns out. Um, I just sort of follow the opportunities as they come and try and make the most of them. Uh, journalism is something that I, I do enjoy. I do like writing, um, and I do appreciate the constant nagging from my father to write journals for his website because um, it keeps me up with my writing, and to be honest, there's not much opportunity um, to, to continue writing and to, to keep my uh, grammar and thoughts in line. If you want to write for us, I'll give you a card. You can write yeah. a- aftn.ca. Babe, we're looking to get some more women's coverage. You're welcome to do that. Okay, okay. See, these things come out of Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can't pay you yeah. anything, but no, no, we don't get paid for it either. Yeah. Now, the the women's team, well, the women's World Cup. You're going to have a Panini sticker album, but she also had in 2011. Do, do the players like care about stuff like that? Like I've collected that since I was a kid, yeah. and I find it weird. Like, I've got the Mexico '86-1 and the Canadian teams and that, and now I'm hanging around with the guys that I used to like collect the stickers and stick it in. I mean. Yeah. Do things like that, does that excite you a bit more? Do you kind of feel that the women's game's making a bit of a breakthrough now that you've got that? Yeah, the Panini stickers, I remember in 2011, everyone was talking about it, and, you know, I think for Europeans that is a big deal, and for us, we have no idea what yeah. it is. Like, it's really <laughs> not. Um, it's cool. I had, a, I think I had my own sticker for a while, which was kind of weird, just <laughs> walking around with my sticker. Um, you know, it is a breakthrough, I think, in Europe. It's definitely a male-dominated sport, and slowly you're seeing to see the women's game uh, take foothold there. I think in North America, we, we're further ahead in that way. Um yeah, it's just a good step for, for women's sport. Thanks so much for joining us, Rianne. Good luck with the World Cup, and we hope we'll talk to you after it when you've won it. And we'll give you a card you can write for us. Excellent. Thank That's you great. very much. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks, Thanks guys.
So that's Rianne Wilkinson, Canadian national team defender and possibly future AFTN columnist. Yep, we, we threw that in in the interview, as you can hear, and we're going to keep up on that. So, Rianne, if you're listening, we are going to get in touch with you. It would be fantastic if she could do a, a blog from the World Cup for us. Just throwing that out there now. But, I mean, Rianne, very interesting girl to talk to. She's got a lot of good interests off the pitch. One of which, as we covered in the interview there, is that she's she's hoping to get into the, the coaching side of it. And she was at the, the FIFA Women's Under-20 World Cup last year with, with the Canadian national team. And having that experience already under her belt, that's really going to help her calm some of the younger girls down and let them know what to expect with the, the media circus that is going to be a World Cup. Yeah, and it's going to be, it is going to be a circus. It always is with these kind of events. And, and it... it it, maybe it lessens a little bit because it's spread across the whole country. Maybe it increases. It's such hard a, to tell. It's such a vast country. Yeah. As well. I mean, it's possibly it's hard. the biggest country that's ever hosted a World Cup. Well, the U.S. did too. So, it, well, yeah, I guess we do. But the majority of our country isn't inhabitable. So, yeah, so that's, it's, a, that's yeah, a big it's, difference. We are a lot more remote here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We've already kind of started to see the circus in full flow. And there was the big roster announcement on Monday Pass, as we mentioned. Big affair, brought all the players out, lots of media attention. TSN broadcast it live, which kind of blew my mind that they, they broadcast a live roster announcement. Yeah. And, I mean, you don't kind of get that coverage anywhere else. Of course, the Canadian men ha- haven't qualified from 1986. So you might as well do something. Yeah, there was or... black and white television in that day. So, I mean, we don't know what they would do if they qualified for a World Cup. But at that roster announcement, Karina LeBlanc, who we will hear from in our second of these special podcasts that we're doing. But Karina had a message for the fans. She said to the fans that they can be the 12th man. She said, we need you loud. We need you proud. We need a see a red. And one of the... The key components of this, and in all World Cups, is when a team plays at home, they seem to get a massive boost. You've seen it in all the men's World Cups. Maybe South Africa was the only team that didn't get that boost. In the women's side, though, Germany Germany didn't didn't get that boost. The pressure was maybe a little bit too much for them. But it's important that the Canadian girls know that the fans, the country, is behind them all the way, every step of the way. And leading that kind of fan charge is the supporters group for the Canadian national team, the Voyagers. Yeah. And Steve, you had a chance to speak to one of the the leaders of the Voyagers out west, as we said a at the start. spokesperson, you can kind of say, obviously... Yeah, he, a lot doesn't, of the, he doesn't like being classed leader. But. The Voyagers um, obviously are more of an Ontario-based, but there are Voyagers well, that, all that's across the country. because the Canadian that's, men never play anywhere exactly. apart from Ontario. But but the, the, the people who started it were out in Ontario, but they have had people who speak or, and organize on their behalf out west as well, um, including people from the Curva and Southsiders. And one of those guys out here in Vancouver is Zachary Meisenheimer. So, Steve, you had a chance to, to speak to Zach just after the, the roster announcement, just about the Canadian Women's National Team squad, what we can expect from the Voyagers and what support they're expecting and just what his hopes are for this World Cup in general. So here is Zachary Meisenheimer. So we're here with Zach Meisenheimer at uh, the unveiling of the national team roster for Canada. Going to be playing this summer at the World Cup. Zach, first of all, your initial thoughts on the roster and what did you think of it? 
the event? Oh uh, yeah, I mean uh, the the rain doesn't doesn't help these kind of things, but uh, very I guess very Vancouver weather. No, uh, the announcement in general, I don't think there's too too many surprises. I, I think you know you have the the one player with the four caps. Uh, I I don't know how good. Ichelli, Ichelli, yeah. So that's maybe a little bit surprising, and that I mean I, I've heard that maybe that speaks to a little bit of chemistry and and that, that kind of team dynamic, and and maybe a little bit of who you're connected with. Um, but I don't know anything factually about that. But um, I think for me, the more surprises are, are, are players that are in that have injuries that we don't know if they're able to be able to be a, a fully a part of the tournament. So players yeah. like Diana Matheson yeah. and, and Lauren Sesselman. Like, yeah. how, how, how fit are they actually and how fit will they be? You could even see Diana Matheson... Ha- not struggling, but being very careful as she walked down the stairs. You, you, you think know? she's probably like uh, right now named to the team just because of her service, and eventually they know they probably replace her. Yeah, perhaps. I think it's it's, it's morale boosting it's to hope, have her. It's there. also hope that they maybe she is becomes they'll become available. Yeah, totally. Um, it totally is. But I, yeah, I think it's morale boosting to have someone who's contributed so much. You know, scoring the the bronze medal goal against France. You know, she's like a become a. a a big piece to the Canadian women's puzzle, and and she's she's a good quality footballer. She she plays a great role in midfield for us. So you're one of the, I'll say, West Coast uh, organizers of the Voyagers, or somewhat like helping out here and there wherever you can do it. Um, you have an idea of what they're planning on doing. What 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 are the plans for the Voyagers in the summer, oh, during the World Cup? Uh, yeah, no, it's great to be a, a part of the Voyagers. There's some really passionate people who love. Uh, Football and supporter culture. Um, you know, Jamie in Toronto is an awesome guy who's devoted so much time and energy and resources and passion to to making uh, support possible at Canada matches for um, large groups of people, and uh, they're wor- they're working at that for for this tournament as well. So if you go to the Voyager site, there's uh, tickets. You know, for Edmonton, the the games in Edmonton, uh, the the game in Montreal as well, and then. But yeah, locally here in Vancouver, there's uh, there's tickets for all the matches that are here, except for the the final is obviously sold out, yeah. and, and even the Voyager section at the final is sold out. But um, or yeah. that one quarter final that the Canada could potentially play if I, they win. Yeah, it. I don't think that's sold out yet yeah. in the section. I'd have to double check. But no, I mean people people just want to get out of the support, right? Uh, it, it's it's the national and, team, and, and, and and the site will also help people if they want to travel to these locations to support. Yeah, totally. Go to I think it's Voyager, the org. Or Voyagers.org or just or search for it. Yeah. Search for it, you'll yeah. find it. And uh, no, yeah, check info out there. Uh, the, the, the Edmonton, the Edmonton matches are huge for Canada. We need, as as you heard, Katrina LeBlanc today. We need it to be a sea of red or red and white, and we need like we need there to be just an incredible support. It was great to hear a player talk about how significant it is to have people support them and how that can actually. Uh, play a role and can impact the the performance on the pitch, which obviously I personally truly believe in and and and, li- and you know live that out and how I support. And so it's good to hear players encouraging others to, to you know to take that on as well. What are your personal plans? Are you uh, uh, it's a wait and see kind of thing? Right no, now? it's uh, June sixth is my wife's birthday, so. Uh, we were road trip through the Rockies for the birthday. <laughs> no, no, we have friends in Edmonton that we're we're hoping to visit, but there's some other things. There's. Uh, there's some other things that day in life and in yeah. football. Yeah. Um, we have an away match that day. It's the Champions League final at the Olympiastadion in Berlin. 
Oh yeah, um, Bayern Munich is still in there. <laughs> so I have some friends who might be able to give me a ticket for that. But I, you know, I, I think the, the if I could go to one football match that day, I probably would be to support my country in yeah. the in the hosting of a World Cup. I'm just trying to make sure it, it can happen. And if not, then maybe the June 11th game yeah. will make. And then the games here, Definitely. I want I want to be at the games here just to yeah. support to support football here in Canada. Yeah. And then if we make yeah, if we do play a game at BC Place, we want it to be. We, we just want it to be awesome for our players. We want our players to feel the love and to feel the support and, and to go out, go out and, and continue to progress in the knockout stages. Is it a little bit disappointing that Canada is playing bi-coastal almost? They're hosting the, they're hosting the tournament. It's, it, instead of, we're, everybody was hoping it was be Edmonton, Vancouver, Edmonton, Edmonton, Montreal. I know they want to get a game for the East Coast for Canada, but it, it kind of takes away from the home field advantage kind of thing. I don't know if it takes away from the whole field advantage. It's a lot of travel. The travel. Okay, yeah. you, got, you got some travel. Uh, the two games in Edmonton are nice. It will be nice in terms of yeah, being in one place. It's good. To, it's good to go play in Montreal. There's players here on our on our team from Quebec, and it's yeah. great for supporters in both kind of both sides of the country to be able to get out and to support, and uh, and then it gives people opportunity. There's people who are going to travel to Montreal just for that game, um, and so uh, no, I don't. I, I don't. I hear you on the travel thing, but I don't. I don't think it's. I don't think it's the end of the world. People will talk about it, I'm sure, especially in the build-up and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I, I think it's—I think the players and and and, and uh, the people involved with our our, our, our women's team are going to see it as an opportunity to help get the whole country in, uh, on board and supporting them. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Obviously, it's a long way off right now. Where do you think Canada finishes? How how well do you think they do? How far do they advance? The bronze medal in the Olympics. Obviously, it's a bigger field here in the World Cup. Uh, lot teams that weren't in the Olympics. So, where do you think they finish? All, all I'll say is this: if if we can top the group, I think uh, we can get out of the group. But especially if we top the group, I think the, I think that uh, the opportunity to go far is is very real. Uh, I think I think that finishing first in that group is key to that. But for not just playing here in, in Vancouver, but for who they'll face in in the, in the round of 16. But uh, I, I think it's it's pretty. It's I think when you're hosting a tournament like this, uh, if you're when you host a tournament like this, it's incredible to see the momentum that can happen for the host. Uh, you know, having been in Germany during the World Cup and, and seeing how it propelled them, maybe even beyond their skill in 2006. Uh, and then you, you see it all the time in the World Cup. Teams that host that are not that great, like they still get out of the group. They still progress on knockout stages. Look at you know South Korea 2002, for example. Yeah. They had no, no business being in the semifinals, yeah. but they were propelled by a nation. Mass will agree with that. And we, <laughs> for real. And so we have an incredible opportunity to help propel our, our, our nation, our, our women's football club, to... Uh, into the knockout stages and beyond, and so the, I think if we if we if we top the group, I think possibilities are limitless. Perfect. Thanks a lot, Zach. No problem, Smithy. So that was Zach Meisenheimer and his thoughts about the team and all the other stuff that's going to be going on in the World Cup. It was the the announcement itself. It was a it was pretty good uh, turnout. Obviously, it was a rainy day, so and it was a Monday as well after the after the Canucks got eliminated. So you don't expect a total uh, turnout, but there were enough media there and enough fans there to make it a great event. Yeah, it was unfortunate in a way that 
some of the, the Canucks' access, it was their last access of the season, clashed with the event. Right right, uh, right side by side, basically. So, I mean, that, that was a bit disappointing. But there was a good turnout. I didn't go down to it because it, it was raining. Yeah. And I wanted to watch it from the comfort of my living room, which I did. And the support, especially for, for young girls coming through. And, I mean, you've got Jesse Fleming, who we will speak to in the second of our special podcast. But, I mean, Jesse. 17 years old, she sat four years ago watching the Women's World Cup, three years ago watching the Olympics and watching these girls play at that event. Now she's part of it. And there's going to have been some young girls in that crowd, young girls watching at home, that are going to see that and they're going to be like, I want to play for this team. I want to be part of that. And I know in the past I've made jokes about about women's soccer, but it is so empowering for girls around the world to, to have this and the interest that is growing, as, as we spoke with Rianne, there's Panini stickers, which yeah. came out for the Germany one, and now we're going to have it again. There's coverage from TSN of roster announcement. In England, the, the women's game now has a weekly women's football roundup on yeah. BBC television. So the game is growing, these things are growing, and it's only going to make the teams get better. And that's the thing, the more better teams there are at club, but particularly at international level, the more countries that there are challenging to to be the elite teams, then it's just going to get more interest in it. But for, for the fans, young girls especially, it, it's a huge thing. And, and you can't really... The, the, the problem is, is there's you, you can't be a snob about it. You have to understand that not all levels of soccer are the same. And you, it has, you can't go. It's taken me a while to kind of. Yeah, come you to can't. Terms you, with that. Like I've had issues where the, during last year, during the World Cup, uh, the men's World Cup, where after a morning of watching the World Cup, I went to the Whitecaps Impact game, and no matter how much I've tried to stay away from being like that, I couldn't watch that game. Oh, it was a dreadful game, well, anyways. No, no draw. Very yeah, little happening. Yeah, it was a dreadful game, anyways. But it was just so boring compared yeah, to watching a World the Cup. Difference in quality. But then you go to uh, uh, one of the provincial cup uh, games, and you know, if you go up with an open mind, they're exciting games to watch, yeah, and I mean, the people are playing at, at the, the best. Yeah, I've been watching B Cup action yeah. for the last few years in provincial cup, which is kind of on a level with my team of East Fife. But it's yeah, it's like for me. Once you have more teams than to the top eight in the world, because I mean some of the some of the teams that are in this World Cup, they're going to get heavy defeats. You've got the likes of Thailand. I mean, do we know what Thailand's how good they're going to be? No, that's good, the problem. Good chance that's... they're going to get hammered. I mean, when they come up against the big nations, yeah. that's when you see the gulf, and that's. That kind of hinders the game because people look at that. It's like women's hockey. Well, hockey's like worse. Hockey, hockey's hockey. worse because there's only two teams, essentially, yeah. uh, and maybe a third or fourth team that are, but are you getting see those closer. But yeah. in the Olympics, and it, it turns people off from the games. I mean, but you have to play these games in order to get other countries better at it because exactly. there are teams getting better. Mexico, you, they've improved so much. Um, um, other European squads have improved. You look at yourself, like you were talking about uh, England. England's improved since the... Yeah, since well, the, Scotland's improved dramatically yeah. as well and just missed off for qualifying this yeah. time round in, in the final playoff games. So, I mean, it, it's it's going to develop, it's going to get better. And it's good that the fans... The ticket numbers seem great. It looks like it's going to be a really successful World Cup. They are only like 50% off the ticket sold of what their goal was going to be. Yeah. I think it was something like 1.5 million was their goal and they've sold 750,000. 
But as the event there's going to be a lot of walk up. Yeah, there always is, and there's people traveling still and stuff like that. There's probably people arranging trips from other countries. So let's get. Uh, we, we were talking about the beginning of the segment about Jesse Fleming three years ago watching the Olympics and the Canadian team there winning the bronze medal. Another player who watched uh, was watching at home um, was Elisa Chapman. Um, yeah, I mean, and I, she was probably watching from Europe because she was playing in Europe yeah. at the time. And uh, Alicia just came into the reckoning last September or October time. Yeah, which she is, was and nowhere. She, and she was uh, to come into at her age, like, which is only like I think she's 23. 20, 24, I think. Oh, she 23, was 24 when she came in, maybe 23. But at that age to come in um, that late, a year before the World Cup, and actually make the team, yeah, very I, impressive. To come into a close knit group of girls as yeah. well. So. To me, that's one of the fascinating stories of the squad. So we had a chat with Alicia just about all those things. It's like, did she think that her chance of playing internationally for Canada had gone? What it's like to suddenly get that chance and and be part of all this? And what it's like trying to break into a squad of what is basically a really, really close-knit group. So let's hear now from Alicia Chapman. So we're joined now by Alicia Chapman. So Alicia, thanks for chatting with us. You've made the the final roster for the Canadian World Cup squad. As one of the more inexperienced players on the team, uh, what what does it mean to you to to have been selected and the chance to play in a World Cup on home soil? Um, It's it's pretty crazy. because I, I haven't been a part of the team for very long. Um, but I do think I bring some experience also because I've been playing professionally for three years in Sweden now. And uh, I, knew, I knew a lot of the girls on the team already. But, um, no, it, it, it means everything to me being able to play on home soil in, in front of my family and my friends. And I can't wait for the opportunity. Um, so you made your senior debut last October. In this kind of day and age where it's more of the, the younger players that are kind of that John's brought in to go with the, the core group, was there ever a stage where you thought your chance of playing for the, the national team had gone? Oh, for sure, because I haven't, I wasn't invited to a camp for six years. Um, so there, I mean, every day, I, I mean, I didn't think at all that I would be a part of this roster a year ago. Uh, it wasn't until last June where I, I got an email from John saying, we're watching you, um, basically, That's is what it said. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're watching you. Uh, that I thought, okay, maybe I do have a chance after all. But in, until that email, I, I didn't think it was possible. So. Um, now, prior to that, obviously you were talking about six years ago, but you did compete at a World Cup. Under 20s. Under 20s, yes, um, in Chile. Um, and you won the gold medal at the CONCACAF qualification as well. Does that at least, even though you haven't been with the team, that experience uh, six years ago, does that help you in prepare, preparation for that? I think it does, but this is this is a very different squad with different expectations. Um, winning the CONCACAF gold was was a great experience, and it's too bad that we didn't make it out of our group come the World Cup but uh, I think it did give me a little experience but I want to have a better experience at this World Cup that's for sure. Now your mother's from Edinburgh so I have to kind of ask you about that. When did she move over to Canada? Um, when she was very young like oh, okay. one one or two. So. 
I mean, we talked about how late Canada got in touch with you. Did Scotland ever show any interest in you? Oh, uh, they did. The the two, the head coach and the assistant coach, they're both Swedish. So um, the assistant coach actually came to one of my games, uh, one of my preseason games last February or March or something like that. So they did show interest, but I think they were waiting until after World Cup qualifying um, to bring in any new personnel. So... Um, I, I never got that opportunity, which I'm grateful for. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. we never qualified, which, of course. Um, so the, like the whole move into Sweden, what was behind that? I mean, why did you decide to go over to Europe as opposed to the NWSL route? Uh, well, in the NWSL, they are only allowed three internationals, and I don't think there was much interest in me because I didn't have a lot of experience with national teams. So all I had going for me was my U20 World Cup and that, uh, by the time I graduated, that was a couple years in the past, so people had kind of forgotten about me, and I had a British passport, so I was like, might as well go over to try my chances in Europe, and it worked out. So, yeah, Sweden's a lovely place. Now you are now you you are playing for the Houston Dash now, yeah. um, and your keeper is Aaron McLeod. Mm-hmm. How is that uh, familiarity with her going to help you on the pitch? You know, the experience of playing in front of her, her communication with you and everything. Um, well, Erin's a great leader, so her communication, no matter who she's playing with, is, is excellent, whether it's their first time playing together or not. Um, she's just a, a great leader back there. So um, the more I get to play with her, the better. So we get to learn each other more and more. But, um, no, it's it's great having Erin on both the national team and club team. I wanted to ask you a little bit about yourself, kind of off the pitch. So the bios in, on Canada Soccer tell you nothing really about the players. It's yeah, like or what you true. like to do. So it's like, I mean, what, it said you like watching movies. So, I mean, what, what kind of movies do you like? Or what, what do you mainly like doing in your spare time when you're not playing? Um, I like watching, yeah, action movies. I, I like Denzel Washington, but um, probably more so than movies. I I like hockey. I like watching hockey. And saw that you're a Ty Domi fan, and I'm I'm a Leafs fan. Yeah, um, I, I loved hockey before I moved over to Canada, and then I moved here, and I don't like it as much. But Domi um, was my favorite. Yeah, I liked him just because he was like a little bulldog. Yeah. I don't know. I just I'm small. So, um, but I think I'm I'm tough also. So I uh, saw a little of myself in him, I guess. <laughs> Do you get a chance to watch many, like get to any Leafs games, or have you gone to watch the Canucks here? Um, I've been to a couple Canucks games, but uh, I haven't been home very often for Leafs games, and tickets are a little pricey. So yeah, to pay for the to watch them lose is not really probably not enjoyable. No, but that's yeah, all. That's yeah. all going to change. Yeah. We're going to gang up on you here. It's going <laughs> to change soon. Go, go Leafs, go. The sad thing is, like in, in one of my rooms, I've got pennants for all the Stanley Cup wins, and the last one is 1967, and I was born in 1968, and it's like nothing since then. Mm-hmm. It's okay. There will be the Stanley Cup. Toronto will win it before both of us die. I promise. I, I will keep this, and I will hold you to that, and I'll send you a message and go see. You were right. Now. Yeah, you're one of the new ones coming into the, the team and a lot of the team's been together for years so it's a really close-knit group. Has it been hard to, to kind of come into the group or have they been really, really welcoming to you? Oh, well, I was worried about that. Like, when I first came in, I was a little intimidated um, that that's how it would be. They wouldn't be very welcoming, but everyone was super nice right away. And um, that made it easier for me to perform well in practice and, you know gel with the team on and off the field so no it, everyone was really welcoming it was great who's, so. your, who's your roommate uh jose belanger 
right, we'll have to try and speak to her and find out things about you. Can you tell us anything about her? Because we're doing a teammates thing where we're okay. asking folk. So what can you tell her? What's her, what's her worst habits? Her worst habits? Um, she doesn't really have any bad habits. She's oh, like, I know it's true, though. And, you know, she's, she's got the hookups for the maple butter because her, her family has a sugar shack. So, you know, it's been, it's been quite excellent having her as a roommate for that reason. For even just that reason alone, <laughs> we get along really well. So, <laughs> and when the World Cup kicks off, what what's the one thing at the moment, like looking ahead to, not looking about how far Canada could go or how well you do personally, but what's the one moment that you're most looking forward to? Is it walking out for that first game, or is it something else about the whole whole I, tournament? Yeah, I think it's walking out for that first game. I just hope I don't get you know too emotional, start crying and stuff when the national anthem plays. <laughs> but. Uh, no, that, that's probably it. First game, walking out there, you know. Now, this morning when you walked out, did you leave your mascot behind? She, she let go of my hand, <laughs> and then, like, I turned around. She, I didn't know where she was. She, like, blended in with the crowd, and then I went in line, and then <laughs> ten seconds later, I see her running by me, and I'm like, oh, no, that looked quite bad. <laughs> yeah, I never made it down for that. I was watching it on TV, and you, they were focused right in on you when that happened, and you were like, shh. She let go of my hand. I'm like, I don't know where I'm... She was supposed to be leading me, mind you. So, I mean, no, she, she well, was cute, though. don't do that when they're leading you out this time, then. <laughs> well, it's been lovely talking to you. Uh, good luck this summer. Uh, and we will hopefully talk to you after it when you, you've got a medal or two maybe to talk about. Oh, sounds good. So it was Alicia Chapman just talking about being part of this whole experience. And as I say, it's one of the really nice stories. She came from nowhere. Now she's going to be playing a World Cup on her, on her own soil. As she said in the interview, Scotland had even shown an interest in her. But things have just worked out fantastic for her. Yeah, and, and she's back in uh, North America as she's and playing down south in Houston with Aaron McLeod. And so it, it, it's, it's really turned around for her and it, it's great to see. And of course, the other big story, which we alluded to at the start of the show, a great story. One of my favourite players on the Canadian women's national team. I just love the way that she plays. The spur plug. Yeah. Diana Matheson. She's made the 23 women's squad. We still don't know if she's going to be good to go. I have a feeling she might not be good to go for the group games, but that Herdman is looking at the second round quarterfinal stage and that if she has got a chance to... To make it to that stage, he's going to keep her in the squad. Yeah, I think so too. And 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 the thing is, is um, she is upbeat about it. She is not down at all. And I think that's a lot to do with Herdman. We will talk about that in the interview. One thing I want to share that obviously you can't see because it's a podcast. But after the interview was over and she was walking away, I think she was walking towards a teammate um, at another table. She was actually she had a limp uh, walking. But she turned it into like almost like a you know half pimp walk when she was walking a, like a, a hip hop kind of walk and and, the, and she was grooving all the way over to the table. So she's definitely in a positive mood. So I I I, I don't think that's gonna be a you know one of the effects like it won't bring her down or, or anything like that if she's not able to suit up by the first three games and she's just available for the knockout. As Herdman said, uh, she's the kind of player as well that if she feels she's not gonna be good to go, she's gonna tell him and she's gonna give that jersey up. And he has like. 24 hours before the first game to, to make adjustments to, to, to the roster. And she's valuable on the bench too because she could come yeah. in late and affect the game. 
And for anyone that doesn't know, we were just assuming everyone knows what happened. She she had an ACL injury last year. She was rehabbing on her way back, but at training, she then suffered a setback when she injured her foot. And it's going to be a long road to recovery. If she can do it, it's going to be a fantastic turnaround, a great story. And we won't talk anymore. Let's just hear from her just now. The wonderful Diana Matheson. So we're joined now by Diana Matheson. So first of all, it was a touch and go moment as to whether you were going to be on this the squad this morning. Mm. I know it still might be touch and go as to whether you can make it, but I mean, how, how are you feeling? Uh, today I feel great. Uh, it was obviously a goal to be on the roster for today, so got to check on that one. And then it's, it's just continuing what I've been doing and doing all the little things and getting back on the field. Now John Herdman described you as having the X factor. And that's why he's really keen to have you on the team. When you hear the coach putting so much faith in you as that, I mean, what does that mean to you as a player? Yeah, he's been incredible through both injuries this whole time. He's been really supportive, and it's made a big difference for me mentally. Uh, I'm, it's, it's great. John's a pretty amazing guy. As you know, you get to talk to him, and he inspires people, and we're lucky enough to work with him every day. Is having a coach like John Herdman gotten you through these injury issues? Is that, is that like... Is he most like the X factor for you in order to, you know, not get down on the injuries and just keep going and trying to get back? Yeah, uh, I mean, he's the X factor for the team, I think, for sure. And he's made a big difference uh, just on the mental side. You know, it's tough when you get hurt. You know, you have a hard time ahead of you and he's just been supportive and I know he's got my back. So that's made a difference. The 2011 World Cup, everybody talks about it and everything about the disappointment there. But then you guys rebounded with the Olympics. Do you kind of meld those two experiences together and try to get yourselves ready for this tournament and use both experiences as a a guiding point? Uh, I think the difference between them just shows us, you know, the work we put in for the Olympics made the difference, uh, the on and off field things. So, I mean, we knew it worked kind of thing. The proof was there. So it was just about taking all those things that made us successful in London and putting two years of work into them and getting to the next level. Now, we're trying to find a little bit out more about just you as a person, not just as a player. Mm-hmm. So what, what are your big interests off the, the football pitch? Oh, man. Uh, I don't have anything exciting. Right now, my interests are rehabbing (laughs) and icing. Um, Watching some Netflix while I ice and rehab. Uh, Man, I don't have anything exciting to tell you right now. Pretty much it's soccer and rehab. What do you watch on Netflix, then? What kind of programs are you watching? We talked to Rihanna about her podcast. Yes. What what do you like to watch? What do you listen to? Uh, what am I watching these days? I just finished watching uh, Kimmy Schmidt on Netflix. Fantastic show. Great yeah. show. Yeah, I've never heard of it. Yeah. Unbreakable <laughs> Kimmy Schmidt. Yep, very good. Uh, whew, I might get back into Game of Thrones soon. Yeah. Uh, I listen to the Odd Podcast too. I think that's mandatory when you're Rian's roommate. You have to. Uh, yeah, those are, those are the big ones right now. And Rian has me watching some British cop show on Netflix too. Oh, do you know what one? Uh, Bailey and Champ, Champ and Bailey. Oh, I've never yet heard of that. One. And, uh, and I just finished watching uh, The Fall too with Gillian Anderson. That was pretty good. Rihanna was telling us like her favorite podcast at the moment is Desert Island Discs, which yes. folk, folk listening to this will have no idea what that no. is, but I do because I grew up listening to it. But if you were stuck on a desert island and yep. you had to have one book with you and mm-hmm. one piece of music, what would you pick? Oof, one book. I don't know about the 
book. The music right now, I've been listening to Sia a lot and Hozier, so it would be one of those. Those have been getting me through. I think I've been listening to those about four months now, so <laughs> I'll keep those going. But when you're having a day like this where you just, you're getting asked the same questions over and over and over, how, how hard is it for you to like keep a smile on your face and just say, yeah, everything's going to be good, I'm going to be good to go? <laughs> and uh, Well, I have my coffee here. That helps the energy. Uh, I mean, it's... I knew the questions were coming, and I, like, I'm comfortable with where I'm at and how the recovery's going, and it's just because these events are happening today doesn't really change too much for me, and I'm, it's part of my journey going towards the World Cup, so I don't mind talking about it. Now, looking ahead to the World Cup, obviously it's, it's your chance to play on home soil. It's mm-hmm. going to be a once-in-a-lifetime chance for, for all the players. Does the pressure get to you at all, knowing that you have got the weight of the shoulders, weight on your shoulders, the whole country on you, especially because mm-hmm. the men are probably unlikely ever to be in this situation? Uh, it's something we've been preparing for. We know it's coming. Uh, we know the German women's team struggled with that when they had a home uh, World Cup and the pressure's on them. So we've been preparing for it like anything else on the mental side. Uh, we've had people in talking to us who hosted uh, home tournaments, uh, we've kind of put ourselves in the situation of what it is going to be like, what the expectations are. Uh, at the end of the day, it's the pressure we already put on ourselves, so I think we're going to be as prepared as possible for it. I mean, that, that is the thing. Like In the Men's World Cup, it, it seems to give the home teams an edge. Mm-hmm. Like every single... Maybe South Africa was maybe the only country that hasn't had that. Well, yeah. Brazil really didn't have much of an edge. Well, they, they got to the... <laughs> they, they did, they, to they, they did <laughs> up to a certain stage and then a disaster. But, I mean... How much do you think, like, knowing, knowing the cities, knowing the stadiums, you've had a chance to play on the turf, how big a boost is that going to be for you guys later on in the, in the competition? I think it's going to help. We've had the chance to play in most of the stadiums before, uh, multiple times over the years we've played in them. Uh, we've got the crowd on our side, which will help, uh, hopefully sway the ref a little bit, as maybe it does when you're the host. So, yeah, I think the fact that we're used to the stadiums, we know what it's going to look and feel like is an advantage for us. John Herdman was talking about all the young players like uh, Jesse Fleming and Chapman. Mm-hmm. They, they come into this team without any fear because they just haven't experienced all the bad times. They just want to go in and they, they, what's the big deal and everything. Yeah. Is that something that boosts the veterans as well and, and it kind of re-energizes them? Yeah, it is. It's great to have their energy and fearlessness around. We were actually talking about, a few of us, about 2003, and that was us then. We didn't really know what we were getting into, and suddenly we're in a semifinal in a World Cup, and you play without that fear because you don't really have that pressure on yourself as much yet, and you just go out there and do the job. So it's great to have this next generation coming through now where there's, I mean, there's, what, four or five of them now coming through who are just going to make a huge difference, I think. What kind of legacy are you hoping to do? This is obviously a World Cup. Uh, people talked in the press conference about 1999 for the U.S. Um, this will be obviously big for Canada. What kind of legacy are you hoping for to uh, put to the future girls that are going to be playing on this team? Yeah, we we have that in the back of our minds. We went into London wanting to inspire a nation, change Canada soccer, and it's we're in the same place. We want to play a brand of soccer that's going to inspire kids to want to make the national team and want to win a World Cup one day. Well, good luck with everything. I hope your rehab goes well. We really hope to see you. You're one of my favourite players in the team, and I really, I really hope you do well. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks.
So was Diana Matheson there, just talking about her struggles, what she's hoping for, a little bit of personal side to her as well. She's such a bubbly girl that she's going to be a great asset to have in the locker room as well. And one thing we never asked her in the interview was about her goal that won the bronze medal. Yeah. It was after we spoke to her that I realised, oh, I forgot to ask her about that. But she probably was asked that oh, 20 right. million yeah, times across the day. Exactly. And that, that was the thing. These women did hours. I mean, they were up early for the roster presentation, then they did, did media for about six to eight hours. And then between the, the announcement and the media, they were signing autographs yeah, too. So there was a very little break. They did it with a smile on their face the yeah. whole time. They must have been asked the same question, I don't know how many times over the course of the day. It was infectious talking to them. Yeah. And for me, it really got me excited for the World Cup. And, and that is saying something, yes. ladies and gentlemen. Because as I say in the past, some, some of the group games, it's hard to get excited about Cameroon versus Ecuador. But hanging around with the Canadian women's national team, just their spirit, their attitude towards everything, it's hard not to get excited and it's really hard not to root for them. And they were all a pleasure to speak with. We had a lot of fun with them. They really liked our interviews as well. They liked that we weren't just asking the soccer questions, that we were asking a little bit about themselves, having a bit of fun, giving them a chance to laugh. And a lot of them stayed and chatted with us once we'd finished as well, which which was great to see. So that is really it for this episode. But before we go, one final fun section, which we're just calling Jam. What's your favourite jam? Traffic jam. What's wrong with raspberry? What's wrong with plum? How's about a blob of elderberry on a scone? What's your favourite jam? If I was to ask you, Erin, what your favourite kind of jam was? Jam. Yeah, if you're having a scone or something, you have to get mm. some jam. What would you pick? I would definitely uh, pick cranberry jalapeno. Yeah, I like the like it's sweet and spicy. Yeah, everyone uh, so far said raspberry, which has just been bizarre. Oh but, really? Yeah, <laughs> you're the first one with something different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that is that's totally my favorite. It's right probably now. Be, the, be the keeper. Yeah, 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 totally. The weird, yeah, 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 yeah totally. Yeah, well, that's, that's my favorite. So we're joined now by Karina Leblanc. What is your favorite jam? Like, if you had a scone, you um, spread some jam. See, like I love. Oh, I thought you meant, oh boy, I was going to go I with know, my you're gonna song. I know, you're going to go music again. I was like, my jam had to be like reggae. <laughs> spread. My favorite spread. Wow. I guess you got to go with strawberry, you okay. know? Okay, everyone is going raspberry, so that's good. You're yeah, different. yeah. Well, you Actually, haven't figured that out by now. Erin was, stro- was, no, Erin was, was cranberry and jalapeno. So I thought it was a goalkeeper thing. Yeah, no, I just like, you know, if you do peanut butter and jelly, you just go with the jam. It's pretty basic. You know, I, I, I like basic and few things in my life. <laughs> so we're joined now by Jesse Fleming, the youngest player on the Canadian women's national team roster for the upcoming World Cup. What is your favourite kind of jam? To put on it like a scone or toast or something like that. Uh, just classic strawberry jam. Excellent. So we're joined now by Desiree Scott. And first thing to really ask you, Desiree, is if you were to have, say, a scone, while you're having afternoon tea. What would your jam of choice be to spread on it? Good one. I'm going to go with raspberry. This is weird. You're the fourth fourth person that said raspberry. Really? Raspberry four, strawberry three, and which player do you think said cranberry and jalapeno? Carmelina Moscato. 
Aaron McLean. Oh, interesting. They both have, yeah, strange. they're both interesting, yeah. I was going to go with strawberry, but I think there's something about the seeds and the raspberry jam that just brings a little That's different flavor. That's the seeds. Uh, What's your favorite jam? So that was us jamming with the Canadian Women's National Team. And you heard there from Erin McLeod, Karina LeBlanc, Jesse Fleming and Desiree Scott. And we'll have more jamming with the Canadian Women's National Team in the second of our Canadian Women's National Team podcast specials. So I'm a bit of a mouthful trying to get that out. So that's it for this episode of the podcast. We're going to be back with another Canadian Women's National Team special in a few weeks' time, so watch out for that. But until then, and until we get back to talking about Whitecap stuff, Steve, let everyone know where they can find you online. You can find me on Twitter, at WhitecapsBeat. And I'm Michael McCall. You can find me on Twitter, at AFTN Canada. You can read all our stuff about the Whitecaps, USL, MLS, local soccer action in BC and Canadian women's and men's national teams on AFTN, get there by going to aftn.ca. I'm also the Whitecaps beat reporter for MLSsoccer.com, so check out all my Whitecaps stuff on there. But until next time, thanks for listening, take care, and mon the Canadian women's national team. Yeah, but-